Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast at Delphi.org. I'm your host, Jim McKeith. Joining me today is my co-host, Nick Hodges. Hello. Hey, Nick. And Stephen Ball. Hey, everyone. Hey, Stephen. So, Nick, you're the director of product management, is that right? I'm the director of product management in Barcadero, yes. Barcadero. And Stephen is one of our many, one of our product managers. I don't want to say many product managers, one of the product managers we have. And what actually tell us more about what it is you do, Stephen, because you have a, a few hats you wear. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, I started off here as um, a sales consultant, uh, one of the, uh, the technical consultants going out doing a lot of presentations and so on. Um, uh, last year, I, I moved over to um, work in the product marketing team and um, doing the product marketing for, for that studio. And um, for the last four, three, four years now as well, I've been the product manager for Interbase, um, which uh, which has been quite a ride. It's been quite a fun thing to do. Yeah, Interbase is a great database. Yeah. I want to get a job as an Interbase admin so that because I could use the sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, yes, the reason perfect. they used um, Interbase on the uh, the Mars rover was it's a bit too far to send a DBA. Exactly. That's right. I forgot they used Interbase on the Mars rover, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, cool. it's why wouldn't, why wouldn't they, Jim? Why wouldn't they? Exactly. Can you think you know, of I, a reason why they wouldn't? I can't. Delphi and uh, apparently Interbase are very uh, famously used by NASA and the uh, European Space Agency for a number of things. So that's always yeah, cool. Reliability, performance, all that good stuff. Then you go with Interbase. That's what you do. Yep. So we're going to do Low something a little differently today. We're going to have a YouTube version of this as well as the audio-only version because Stephen's going to show us some slides and stuff around smart grids. So, Stephen, take it away. What are smart grids and why should we care? Okay, well, it's, it's kind of fun. We've been uh, last – was it last week or week before now? I'm losing track of time. Um, we had the IoT boot camp. And, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. There's uh, a lot of talk um, you're hearing around about IoT, uh, and um, you know, I'm I'm currently doing uh, you know, alongside you know, everything I'm doing with Embarkadero, I'm doing a, a postgrad uh, in technology management, and um, I had kind of pick a subject, and I thought, well, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff around IoT at the moment with work, so I'll, I'll, I'll pick something around that kind of area, and um, the thing that I kind of looked into was um, smart grids, and um, uh, it was a fascinating thing, and uh, you know, one of the things that we had to do, which is um, uh, what I kind of got shared at the moment, is the um, we had to put together a roadmap around what's happening with the smart grid technologies, um, where things are kind of going over the next um, you know, 10, 20 years or so. Um, but also, you know, pick up what's happened and where, you know, where it's kind of come from, uh, in essence. And there's so many different drivers that are being pushed around from government around um, green energy, um, there's a whole load of really interesting tech news and things going along with you know, people like Tesla building these electric cars and um, uh, you know, you know, keep hearing things about you know all these connected devices that we're going to have at home and how they're going to integrate in and stuff like that. And um, the one thing that was really, really interesting is just how um, the smart grids 
um, potentially actually going to be a really important factor um, to the middle of this. Um, because one thing that's for sure is as we're using more and more electricity, um, we can't keep burning more and more fossil fuel. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, I think Tesla have actually got some really, really good stuff on their website. Um, you know, um, and uh, they were talking about, you know, the, the exponential growth in the terms of um, fossil fuel usage that we need to use just to be able to power the move away from kind of the fuel guzzling cars and stuff like that we've got uh, in the next 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and it's just not sustainable where we are at the moment. So um, electricity is, is, is important. Um, but the problem we have at the moment is that the, the grids that we have for supplying electricity are hugely inefficient. You, know, you you lose somewhere in the region of about 15 to 20% of the electricity generated just in the transport of the electricity. And I didn't expect that. That's amazing. No, it's a huge amount that gets lost wow. along the lines. Um, oh, yeah, those big power lines bleed power like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I guess it makes sense. I, my aunt used to live by summit. They would always buzz and, and stuff, and I guess that buzzing and all the interference would come from buzzing somewhere. Buzzing so, yeah. yeah. Inefficiency. It's just inefficiency. Yeah. But... Um, the other thing that's kind of happening with the, the electric grids is that um, to prevent a brownout happening, uh, you need to have overcapacity. So uh, there's always more electricity being generated than is needed just to keep the lights on. And, you know, because the last thing you can have happen is, you know, not enough electricity supply and the life support machine comes <laughs> it goes crashing down or something. Um, and, uh, yeah, the... The problem with electricity is unlike, you know, water, which you can just sit in the pipe until it's ready to be used. Um, electricity doesn't hang around. It's either use me or I'm gone. Um, so, you know, constantly, you know, only around about 20, 30 percent of the grid is actually being used. Uh, and the rest is there just for when everybody goes and turns their kettle on at um, you know, half time in the Super Bowl rather than watching uh, uh, Lady Gaga do her act or anything. So, you yeah. um, so it's really a hugely inefficient system. And a big part of this is to do with how um, the, electric, the electric grids today are managed. Um, you know, they're all built on technology that hasn't really changed in the last you know, 40, 50 years. Uh, most of the electric, electric grid infrastructure was put in you know, post-war, um, especially within Europe. Um, but, but globally, you know, the, the grids are on pretty old technology, which was very much, um, you know, we'll push it down, and at the other end we'll record what's used. But there's no two-way communication. There was no um, kind of uh, pullback, and that's that's kind of this section here in the middle where we're looking at the metering. Um, so the the existing meters um, just don't allow for that two-way communication, which would then allow the the distribution companies to actually be able to start smartly monitoring. Um, what's being used. And that's not to say that they could immediately change uh, and switch over how it's being used um, uh, from day one. They're going to have to learn um, with data from the grid. Um, but until you start learning that data, that you can't actually make a change. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really kind of one of the major things around the, um, the meters. But the change in the meters really is just kind of the, the start of what's actually going to allow the grids to be able to do because um, you know, we've had in Europe 
uh, in the past, a thing called Economy 7, um, which is where they used to use the, the radio signals um, to pick up the time. And then the, the meter would actually switch from one dial to a second dial. Um, and then you get a different rate at night time because they knew after a certain hour, most people are going to be in bed. Um, so there's going to be more capacity in the grid. So if they give it away cheaper, then the storage heaters and stuff like that in the buildings can be charged up when it's cheaper and then have the energy released during the day um, you know, that's been stored in their, their bricks. Um, so, But having, having the, the smart metering is then going to allow new tariffs to come in where they can start saying, well, look, um, when we notice there's a drop in demand in the grid, and it's really low. That could be in the middle of the day. It could be in the evening. Um, we can actually say, hey, guys, um, we're going to do a special offer on the, the electric price now. Basically, we're going to put it into off-peak off mode. Um, so with things like electric cars and everything, when you plug them in, uh, when you get home, rather than charging right now, um, they're going to need a way to be able to be told by the grid, oh, it's, it's, it's cheap now. Um, do you want to go charge yourself? Um, and you need to be able to control that from home. So um, I'll come back to this kind of um, roadmap in a moment, but this is the kind of uh, architecture that the, the smart grids are, are really going to be aiming towards happening, is that um, in the actual home, there's going to be a communication hub, and the communication hub, um, and, and this is likely to be kind of built into the electric meter itself um, rather than being a separate thing, um, but the communication hub um, will have... Uh, uh, a communication chip in there, like a cell phone chip. Um, we're already seeing some pretty huge contracts with the cell companies coming out for um, for that to happen, um, which brings its own challenge in, in areas where there's no um, connectivity for cell. Um, but also your, your gas meter as well. So if you've got um, uh, gas meters and electric meters, they're going to be connected up to the, the communication hub. And then as the communication hub is then saying what the pricing is, um, it's then going to be able to communicate with smart appliances um, or you know, so maybe your, your, your Tesla car is going to be able to say to the, the power point for the charging and we're in a, a special rate now. So if you want to charge up, now's the time to really go ahead and do it. Um, but also if there's real peak demand um, that there's potentially going to be over over demand, then you know things like your fridge freezer could be connected up and you'll be able to say, look, um, would you mind, we've got a little bit too much demand going on. And the fridge will just go, hey, I'm going to chill out for a moment and it will go into a real low energy saving mode. Because fridge freezers, you know, you can leave them for half an hour, hour, with the door shut without causing any issue. Um, you know, the temperature might drop by like half a degree. So, you know, that's perfectly within, um, you know, the boundaries of what's acceptable. So that's the kind of communication that's going to be able to start happening around the home. Um Equally, you know, washing machines, you better go and say, hey, it's cheap time, go turn themselves on and so on. Well, you know, I was just thinking about what the potential could be with this. And the uh, Tesla rolled out those uh, those battery packs you can get in your home for solar panels. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, if you had one of those battery packs that didn't have solar panels, those yep. packs could charge during cheap power and then be used during peak power. And that could have a huge impact on your uh, energy bill, but then give you that level, 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 level of energy throughout the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of, you're kind of drawing back into here, which is pretty cool. Um, 
So uh, the other thing is, you know, you could use your electric car um, as a as a power pack if you wanted. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, so there's a whole host of different things that you could kind of do. Um, but yeah, the Tesla um, uh, have got two different things they bring to market. Um, there's the power wall, which is the one that you're talking about, which, um, uh, yeah, they kind of just made a battery look sexy, (laughs) which is about what they've done with it. Um, and, um, and then there's also kind of, um, a thing that looks like a a rack, um, one of those kind of big server farm racks, um, which you can kind of load multiple different, um, uh, trays into, I can't remember the exact name for them. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, that's going to be a huge business. And, and to support that, you know, um, one of the really interesting things Tesla are doing at the moment is the, the generation of the Giga factories. Um, and, you know, they've got Giga Factory 1 over in the US, I think, is it Nevada somewhere, in the desert somewhere? And, um, you know, by the time that's finished being built, it's going to be able to produce as, men, as much lithium-ion batteries as the rest of the world's population today can. And that's just going to be their wow. first one. Yeah. Um, but um, you know that's part of what they've been doing in terms of their um, uh, their cars as well. You know they've been looking, you know the Tesla. So three. Steve, are you yeah. saying I should? Are, are you saying I should buy lithium company stock? I I would <laughs> I I would say um, I would been very closely monitoring Tesla's um, share price. I think for them for the future, um, you know, uh, they've they've been doing some really kind of cool stuff. They they've actually open sourced all their um, patents. And um, you know, a, a big reason for that is that they see the value downstream um, by basically saying that um, one of the big challenges actually with the electric car market at the moment is that um, getting the distribution of the network charging points out there is, is a major challenge. And um, Toyota and um, uh, Tesla together have open sourced a whole load of patents. Um, now, Toyota's have been, I think they're through to 2020, that so it's free use of the patents. Um, Tesla have gone even kind of further. They just kind of said, you know, lock, stock and barrel, take and abuse what you want. Because um, by having a standard out there for electric charge, electric car charging points, for example, they can accelerate um, the time to market for electric cars. And where Tesla really see the value is with their, with their grids, you know, with their, their power packs and their home batteries. Um, their, their focus is very much around the, the battery side. And yeah, um, it's going to be a huge area. And they've done everything right in terms of their um their, their their IP strategy in terms of making that happen to be able to pick up that business downstream because theirs is the design, theirs is the the standard that everybody's going to be working to. And they're already doing that in terms of the um the solar panels, um all the people that are generating solar panels now today, um, most of them will connect up to a, a Tesla power pack. Um mm-hmm. and uh, you know there's some really exciting things that are coming through as well and a Tesla um, partnering up with another company and um, they partnered with Panasonic around the battery side of things um, but they also partnered up with another company now for the roof tiles um, so um, right. they're I actually yeah, yeah, just cool. going to look like cool a normal roof tile um, but it's got, actually got um, uh, a solar panel inside it um, and then that actually kind of really brings in quite nicely onto the kind of the, the next stage of the evolution um, which is microgrids you know at the top we were talking about how um, a lot of electricity gets lost through distribution. Um, and um, it's very hard to judge what the demand is in different areas. Um, well, with all the, the solar panels, uh, and you know, to be able to reduce down effortlessly 
the amount of fossil fuel that's being used. Um, at the same time, increase solar panel, uh, or solar um, capacity into the grid. Um, you need to have the communication in place to be able to say, well, we don't need to burn so much right now. But remember, demand is growing up as well. So this, this thing here is actually, it's more demand. Um, so kind of probably a true reflection would be this kind of staying uh, about where it is and the green bit going kind of right up here, actually. Um, to, to be able to consume that um, solar panel power back into the grid, um, it needs to be accessible to the grid. Um, and microgrids will be the next thing on. So your smart meters will actually be using the, the, the phone uh, the mobile phone connections basically that are inside them at the moment to be able to have a conversation locally and they'll be able to feed the date uh, like the electricity supply through the grid to your neighbors um, or to you know the people within your local block rather than having to draw electricity that's being generated you know six seven hundred eight hundred miles away um, so that will be a, a massive thing uh, in terms of the reduction of um, electricity loss through uh, through transport. Um, but also if you think of the, the Tesla power packs on the grid, um, storing up the electricity locally, um, the electricity company is saying, hey, we're going to offer this tariff now for the, the electricity you're going to supply back in the grid. And, and you're kind of pumping that back in. Um, then you know, microgrids are going to be a huge thing in terms of uh, making that kind of happen because without it, the, the control of green energy, um, be it wind, wave, solar, um, uh, you know, uh, underground heating and so on um, is is just it's, it's just not going to be able to happen. So, yeah, you know, hence smart grids are an absolute fundamental um, requirement for the reduction of you know, fossil fuel usage. So, what what does this mean for the Delphi developer that's listening, or the C plus plus developer, interface developer, I guess, even that mm -hmm. is listening to the podcast today? Well, you know, we're already talking to customers um, who are in, in this area, who are, who are doing you know, work developing around smart grids. Um, you know, every home is going to have um, a communication hub. And um, what's the one thing you're going to want to be able to do to build smart grids and smart technology? Um, you're going to want to be able to communicate with this thing. Um, and already today, you know, the, the, the core standards that we probably end up being here you know these things have got a shelf life of around about 10 years um we're seeing the first rollout now um so you probably imagine around 2025 2030 and um, the refresh of that stock will be happening um certainly you know by 2020 um the whole of the uk um is targeted to be um on smart hubs um around the home uh, uh so you know being able to communicate those is going to be, you know, really, really important. And um, today we've got over 50 um, IoT components, um, which you can then start uh, looking at and using within your code. Um, those components, a number of them are using things like um, Zigbee and um, uh, Z-Wave and you know, some of the other standards that are around um, for, for the IoT network of things. Um, and, and that's what's going to be needed to learn and understand to be able to you know, build and integrate into uh, make the power out of the, you know, about the internet things really from a home point of view. Sure, yeah, so people as they're building devices today, smart devices and stuff, being able to talk talk to this and understand the power usage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. A lot of potential there for that. Yeah, so um, 
yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen over the next few years. I think there's, um, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a, a next wave really of, uh, you know, people have been talking about Internet things you know, for a little bit now. Uh, and the same way we kind of spoke about cloud computing for the first few years, it was very much, well, it's just a data center in the cloud, right? Um, you know, you just pay Amazon to host your virtual machine. Um, but the whole kind of you know, DevOps experience and the whole um, you know, services that have expanded out and beyond um, just what the cloud computing side of things has been offering. Um, that's going to be important here as well. But um, I, I feel that certainly around IoT, you know, the emergence of things like um, you know, smart grids um, into the whole equation is going to help drive the next wave of IoT thinking and um, the exciting things, the things we're not even thinking of yet. Uh, and um, having some of the tools to be able to play with today already with the standards that are emerging out of the box. Um, having things like you know, we used with the IoT bootcamp last week with um, uh, with Rad Server, you know, building uh, Arduino boards, you know, making Arduino boards with apps that are being built with Delphi, um, uh, well, Visuino, uh, which is totally cool app. Um, and then using that to then uh, build things that you then connect into a connected network of devices uh, and then being able to learn that data back out in the back end. You know, the people who are learning the data about the home and, and what's kind of going on and how those devices are going to interact are the ones that are going to really make it over the next uh, you know, 15, 20 years. But you need to be planning around that now. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we talked about the uh, IoT bootcamp last week. There's just so much cool stuff going on there, and to see what everybody's doing is just is really really neat. Very cool. Any any thoughts or comments on this, Nick? Besides, are you buying lithium stock right now? Actually, um, here's what I want. I want one of those refrigerator things in your house that generates electricity for yourself, so you can get off the grid entirely. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, and I want a Tesla too. But uh, I want a Tesla now as well. It's just uh... <laughs> so I'm in uh, Seattle right now with on vacation actually, and I went to the uh, I guess it was the Bellevue Square Mall, and they have a Tesla showroom in the mall. Yeah, they and have every parking mall here too, at King of Prussia. Uh, every every parking lot I go to here has the Tesla charging stations too, which is not something not something They're I see in Boise right now. They're all over. I yeah. see them everywhere in uh, downtown Philly. They had one at the hotel in Austin when I, uh, I was in, you know, started work at the Embarcadero. My, my first week in Austin, they had a Tesla charger right there at the hotel. Great. Mm -hmm. Stephen, you no, say so you're doing this. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, you're uh, going to mention he's doing uh, what, post grad work? He's not busy enough with all his hats he's wearing. wearing a, That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Yeah. What I was going to say. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of doing it through the Open University, and I, I must say it's um, a very different way of learning than it was kind of 20 years ago when I was at university first time around. And um, you know, it's it's a thoroughly um, thoroughly good way to kind of uh, engage in some stuff and, and learn some new things. So uh, I'm very lucky that I've got a a, a very nice wife who uh, doesn't mind kind of queuing up all her soaps that she wants to watch till the evening and. Uh, uh, leave me a, a few hours uh, uh, in the evenings, a couple of nights a week, just to kind of get on and do some study, which is uh, which is kind of pretty cool. So. That's great for you. 
you know, you're talking about the uh, the cloud, and it reminded me that we have a, a webinar coming up here this week on uh, so on the 21st we have TMS Cloud Pack. Have either of you looked at TMS Cloud Pack? I've Ooh, seen a few right. bits about it in the past. Um, uh, a huge amount of connectivity stuff in there, so it looked pretty cool. Yeah. I love our REST client components we have that ship with Red Studio. Very powerful. TMS Cloud Pack. Underappreciated. Just, it, it, exactly. And I, I, <laughs> I do demos. That's one of my favorite demos to pull out is the, is the uh, REST client components because it, it, it's crazy how much work it is to do something like that on other platforms. But TMS Cloud Pack kind of takes to the next level because I always find it's like, okay, I want to integrate with, um, you know, uh, Google Drive or something like that, some standard uh, cloud API that's out there, REST API. And I spend, find I'm looking at their documentation, spending some time pouring through it because REST isn't an official protocol as so much a suggestion or a philosophy. And uh, I just find that with TMS Cloud Pack, all you have to do is... Um, Point it. It's like okay, get the API, put it in there, the, or the the key, and put the key in, and boom, it's done. It goes out and connects to it, and you have all the methods and stuff exposed to you. So it's really, really easy to work with. Uh, pull up your TMS. Yeah, I just got it up here on the screen. Um, for those of you watching you this it? on YouTube, yeah, huge amount of stuff in there. Facebook APIs, Twitter APIs, Foursquare. I know I did. Um, I did some integration into the Microsoft Translation Services, which is one of the services that are run. We're talking on the cloud and the evolution of that. I know Microsoft are now kind of focusing quite heavily in terms of the the services they offer out to developers through their um, through Amazon. Um, sorry, no, through uh, the Azure services. Um, so you know, the Microsoft Translation Service is one of those, um, and I think you can get you can get a huge amount of um, free translation done a month through the API. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was pretty straightforward to kind of wrap up a, an author, authorization component, uh, and then just wrap up some of the the calls uh, and, and expose them out. It wasn't rocket science to do. It took a little bit of time, but the, the rest components make life so so easy to do that. Um, but it's well, a bit like, um, yeah. you know, it's a bit like calling any other API, isn't it? And the the power of components and having things nicely wrapped up into, you know, property method and events um, uh, just makes life so so much easier. Much easier to stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and it all so, and it all comes from a simple REST API. <laughs> yes. So one of the it, things that... Could it get that, any more simple than that in a REST API? Yeah, that's great. The the one thing about the TMS Cloud Pack is there's two flavors. There's the VCL version and the FireMonkey version, the FMX version. They're two separate packs. You have, so you have to buy whichever one you're going to use. Um, so that's realize at first. But we have a webinar coming up this week. With them. Uh, on the 21st, where they're going to show off the, their cloud pack stuff, and um, I hope we'll have some blog posts around that as well. That's on Tuesday, so everybody can join for that to check that one out. And then on the Thursday, we have Marco's going to show off his uh, Delphi Minifig mobile app, kind of do a case study success story on that one. So stay tuned for that. Oh, I guess also we should mention uh, Nick, you want to talk about the Linux bootcamp? 
Well, yeah, we have a Linux boot camp coming up that'll teach you everything you need to know about getting ready for Linux and Delphi. Um, that is on, what date is that on, Jim? I'm sorry, it's spacing it. That's on March the 1st. March I've got, the I've got 1st. it up on the, uh, the screen for those who are on YouTube. Let's see, where, where are we? Oh, there it is. Thank you. It's going to be covering everything that we, pretty much everything that Delphi for Linux does, including RAD server, which I'm very excited about. So if you want to make a... Uh, okay, I lost. As soon as you start talking about it, Nick, I lost audio connection. So if you could back up. I just want to say that it uh, covers almost everything you can do with Delphi for Linux, including RAD server. So that you make Excellent. Good time. Strongly recommend you go for that one. So the, the, the new Delphi Linux release is going to let you build server-side uh, Linux support components and uh, including RAD server as well. So that's a fantastic. Yes. This is, of course, the, the REST, REST layer. Hey, Stephen, I stole presentation mode, and I just gave it back because I thought I might be uh, losing oh, okay. the, That might be causing some problems there. So if you want to grab it again and turn it back on. So yeah, uh, Delphi Bootcamp, go to embt.co slash Delphi Linux Bootcamp 2017. We'll take you to the page you see here where you can register for the bootcamp. This, I believe there have been a few early previews of Tokyo, but this is going to be the first time Tokyo is publicly shown everywhere. So awesome opportunity there. Yeah, kind of, if, um, one of the kind of cool things at the moment, um, obviously because uh, the... The code name, uh, the internal working name of Bing Godzilla. Um, uh, there's this kind of little call I'm coming uh, with, the, with the eyes. Ooh. That's scary. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Scary. I didn't know that was there. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's just gone up. It's coming. Those are, those are penguin scary penguin eyes, aren't they? <laughs> eyes, hi, yeah. Killer penguin. Tiller Penguin. Uh, a bit of news I wanted to share is we've been doing a push for new MVPs lately, and we've signed up uh, a whole lot of MVPs lately. We've got over 30 C++ specific MVPs now, wow. which is pretty exciting. And uh, so, yeah, we'll see a lot more of those MVPs rolling out. And then, oh, yeah, that's right. We had the I Love Delphi last week because it was Delphi's 22nd birthday. Yeah, I love this. Um, the I put it up onto my my blog. I did a summary of uh, some of the cool stuff that's been done through the day, and um, I love Craig Chapman's uh, little voiceover for the uh, for the Matrix. Um, so yes. if you haven't watched that, that's definitely worth a, a little watch. And I like to There's say, cool. every birthday that comes around, I like to say, I was there. I was yeah. at the watch <laughs> event. The watch event for Delphi, yes. I'm sure people get sick of me saying it, but I say it anyway because it was one of the one of the high points of my career. I was still at university. <laughs> uh, I was in the Navy, going to the Navy Postgraduate School in Monterey Bay, and uh, just drove up to the event in San Francisco for the two days. Actually, we stayed in a hotel and hung out both days. It was great. People could not get enough of it. They were lining up to get the demos. They were doing demos every hour, and then they had to do a new 
cut the demo down and do it every half hour because so many people were crowding around trying to see the demo. It was awesome. It, with the uh, I Love Delphi last week, I put a video up with my son. So my son had been, I'll share real quick the details. My son had been learning JavaScript through an online course because that's kind of like, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a great beginner language. No, and he was getting really frustrated with it. It was going to give up on programming. I'm like, well, let me show you Delphi. And he could not believe it. He was totally blown away because it was just so much easier to figure out what he was doing and to get things done. And so he's made Who a little... told him JavaScript was a good language to start with? <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't me. What, no. It wasn't you, was it, Jim? No, it wasn't me. I said, right. I said JavaScript's fine. I said that I told him it was fine. He could do that. Because I thought, you know, there's lots of training materials around it. But it's just... With Delphi, it, it, you don't need as much training materials because it just it makes so much sense once you start using it. So, mm. anyway, he is really enthusiastic about Delphi now. Yeah, I know there's been a big push. Um, you know, Google and pushing Python quite hard. Um, but the feedback I've had from teachers, you know, we've done a huge amount of stuff down in South Africa with the schools there. Um, you know, every single student who does computer science. Um, in South Africa um, at uh, kind of GCSE level in the UK, so like 15, 16-year-olds, uh, so like about 14 to 16 um, in South Africa uses Delphi. And um, uh, the, the teachers who I've spoken to, um, both down there and in the UK, say, you know, it's kind of really frustrating. You look at some of the code sometimes and you go, well, it looks right. And all it is is that there's a, a, a line feed in the wrong place or something. So the syntax is still correct. It's just a formatting issue um, where you just don't get that with Delphi. You know, we have discussions about should you put the beginnings on the same line or on the next line. Uh, <laughs> but it still compiles. And if you want to put it every, in, every different way, if you want to write it all in one line, it will still work and compile. Um, that would be fun, the ugliest, okay. ugliest Delphi code contest. Yeah. I think we did that a while back, actually, didn't we? Probably. Oh, we may have. Yeah, yeah, yeah you could just put it all on one line, right? There's got to be some yeah. limitation to the to compiler, but you can put a lot of code on one line with semicolons. <laughs> uh, yeah. Talking of semicolons, I still think one of my favorite um, demos, um, I was over at one of the Borcons, and they had the uh, uh, the dark side of Delphi, and... Uh, Oh, Delphi. Uh, you got me saying Delphi now. It's not good. Um, and they had, um, you know, in Word, you used to get those assistants that used to pop up. They did a, a the guys had made um, one of those kind of little uh, help things. You, know, you used to get the bouncing paper clip and so on. Um, and uh, they programmed it to, if you put too many semicolons on one line, they used to pop up and just go, hey, how many frigging semicolons do you want on one line? Um, which was kind of uh, <laughs> quite cool. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, any other news you guys want to share before we go on to tech tips? No, go ahead. All right, so tech tip. The tech tip I want to share is pay attention to your hints and warnings. It's always interesting when I'm talking to a developer or even like a big group and they'll have just loads when they do a build, loads loads of hints and warnings down there in the, compi in the compile section that they just ignore. <laughs> and it's like, no, don't do that. Uh, so pay attention to your hints and warnings. If uh, 
there is one that you is irrelevant. You can do things to turn that particular hint off in that location. So do that so that you have when you do a successful build, you have no hints, no warnings, no errors. And then, the, of course, the next thing beyond that is start using some sort of static code analysis, like what's built into Delphi, or you can look at Fixed Insight as well as another good one. There's a few other ones, uh, Code Healer as well, that kind of take that to the next level. Yeah, I used to have one developer who worked for me. He said, I, I always take my um, warnings from the second compile because they all disappear on the second compile. <laughs> oh, no, I, that took me a second. Actually, yeah. the interesting thing is hints, you know, hints are bad in that they just mean that you've got superfluous code that's not being compiled. Yeah. But warnings can actually be bugs. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, yes. a warning can actually be a bug in your code. And if it's not a bug in your code, it can certainly cause a bug in your code later. Yeah. So, yeah, hints and warnings are things that should be paid attention to and not ignored. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Paying attention to those in the past has saved me a huge number of hours and uh, potential embarrassing situations with shipping things back out to customers when you've done a quick fix on something. Um, definitely yeah. worth, uh, worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, that's one thing I like about Fix Insight is because it does, uh, TMS offers that. If you want to go to the TMS tab to the developer tools, Stephen, uh, you can get Fix Insight from TMS and it's a, it integrates into the... Uh, into the hints and warnings panel down at the bottom there, so you just get um, there. You go, the second one that gives you uh, you more hints and warnings, and so it'll do things like the uh, let's say you're doing a format statement, and you have um, percent s, but then you're passing an integer in this, in there. It'll say, whoa, hey, this you're passing an integer when you're expecting a string. Or um, maybe you have you're asking for two strings, but you're only passing one string, or something like that. It'll give you that sort of feedback, which that's pretty cool. Again, it, that code's going to compile, but it's not going to work correctly. It's going to produce runtime errors. So that's that's great. There, fix insight. Highly recommend that one. I've used that before. Yeah, the compilers is your first line of defense, and then some people just assume that the, the runtime error is your second line of defense. But static code analysis can definitely find errors in your code. And we ship with static code analysis, audits and metrics. Yes, audits and metrics are a great thing to check out as well. And then what's the other one that we have that's the, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's, it's the tools. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Where is it at? We have QA metrics, QA audits, oh, method toxicity metrics as well that you can go into. Oh, yeah. So there's three that you can check out. There's the, if you had a project, you can go to method toxicity metrics, and that'll tell you uh, things about like uh, cyclobatic complexity, which is how complex your uh, your methods are. And so you can kind of look at these, and when the toxicity gets high, that's an indication that maybe you might uh, consider refactoring it. You can go to project uh, QA metrics, which will tell you things, uh, a number of metrics about your application, um, things you should look out for, and then also go to uh, audits as well. Yep, indeed. Overlooked and underappreciated. Often overlooked, always underappreciated. Well, it's one of those things that you can do that. And like Stephen said, this is where you can save face where you're not, uh, you know, it keeps you from shipping bad code or bad applications. Oh, there we go. You bought it up. Source code, audits, and metrics. So, yeah, lots of great stuff built in. Other yes, options like fixed insight, code humor.
as well that you can add it's in 22 hours. do other great stuff. Piganza. What was that? Piganza Pascal Analyzer. Oh, that's right. Pascal, that's right. Pascal Analyzer. Is that what it's called? From Piganza. So. Very cool. You know, one thing I found, I've been, occasionally I'll do little side consulting things for people to do, you know, different things. And I'm often impressed with, uh, well, I also think the feedback I get from people is they're impressed with how stable the application is. They, like, use it for years or run into me. I'm like, oh, is that still working? They're like, oh, yeah, I use it every day. It still works great. And I, I really feel like Delphi creates much more robust and less fragile applications mm. uh, than other programming languages do. And I think paying attention to your hints and warnings and static code analysis is a way to make much more robust uh, applications that will work over the long term. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the benefits of being a, a, a full native application rather than having kind of intermediary runtimes and libraries that you can you have to hope are never going to change, um, or hope are still there when you go to run and rely on them, um, or that you hope that somebody hasn't kind of hacked into and put some malicious code into, and that's stealing all your passwords as you go through it. Um, so, you know, yeah, very secure, very fast, and they do just keep on running. I've had the same thing. I had a call from a, a chauffeur company I did some work for. Of, Well, I, I got my car um, from them, uh, and I've had the car 11 years. And I got a call from them kind of uh, just before Christmas um, saying, hey, we're still using this thing, and any chance you could just make a small tweak to this? <laughs> Wow, <laughs> yeah, I better go dig that code out. I haven't even looked at it for like seven, eight years. <laughs> yeah, there was a computer company, Micron Computer, years ago that I worked for, and I built a application that would, you, as the customers would use to reload the drivers when they reinstalled their reinstalled Windows on the computer, and they continued to ship that with every computer they made for, oh, quite a few years after I like even left the company, and it was still worked great. Shipped it out with every computer and ran. You know, just everywhere. Um, all written in Delphi. But anyway, very cool. So uh, hopefully we'll see everybody at the Linux boot camp and some of other webinars we have coming up. And, uh, yeah. Internet of Things, Thanks, smart grids, it's all important. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Hey, no, no problems. We enjoy uh, joining you today. Thanks for coming. Fantastic. Hopefully we did okay on our time. I didn't pay attention. We're a little over. over again. Dang it. All right, we'll have to edit it down. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll talk to you all. Oh, wait, that's right. One more thing I want to mention is this week, which is so next week when the, week, when the podcast comes out, I'm going to start doing live coding. So uh, look, follow, check out social media or the blog post, and I'll have a blog post about it on Wednesday. I'm going to kick off doing some live coding. And, uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Should be lots of fun, and maybe we'll. Uh, Craig and I are going to do something, and maybe in the future, Stephen or Nick, you guys can do some stuff with live coding as well. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It sounds scary to cool. me, but you know, we might give it a shot. I'm it's terrified as well, but you know, oh well. It always used to be fun uh, doing coding with Craig, because uh, Craig was uh, yes. Craig used to work for me many years ago. Um, uh, with we were doing the Health Club Ledger Management software. And uh, he always used to know when I had, to, I used to kind of put my headphones on when I was getting into coding and have some music uh, going away. And he always used to know when uh, the, the Thriller album got on. 
<laughs> you could just tell from the way I typed, apparently. <laughs> whole, the whole kind of uh, kind of thriller shoulders and everything going on with some typing. Well, and then there's a blog post here I can see up on the screen, the, the new release pattern one blog post Nick just put out. Oh, yeah. That's worth checking out, everybody. If you're not on the latest version of Delphi, you really should check that out because you can save a whole lot of money by just upgrading and maintaining your update subscription, and then you don't have to keep buying it. It's even cheaper than the whole... I know people used to do the trick where they're like, oh, I just buy every other version to save money. Well, you don't need to do that anymore. Just get an update subscription, save money on the long run, and uh, get lots of cool features and technology. So it's cheaper over three years, isn't it, just to stay on update subscription, and you get support as well. Um, yeah, and you get, you get exactly. to get early access to all the betas, and so, yeah, it's... Yeah. A lot of good stuff comes out of the subscription. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it. So thanks so much, uh, Nick and Stephen, for joining us, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us this week. See you next, uh, next week. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Happy coding.